Well, it's such an honor to be here. Um, somebody's asking, what's St. Louis like compared to Salt Lake? I'm like, it's, it's exactly the same, minus the mountains, the cleanliness, and the beauty. So everything's the same in St. Louis. We live in flyover country and grateful to be there, but you live in a beautiful place. I hope you don't take that for granted. Um, it's like the people who live by the ocean that never go to the beach. Don't do that right here. All right, well, I'm going to jump in. So here is the... The, the, the path we're taking, I want you to think about the hardest thing that God asks us to do. Now, I, I know sometimes God calls us to obedience to do things that are difficult, but in general, I would uh, give this um, idea that the hardest thing God asks us to do is to wait. Because what waiting does is it, it, it's confusing, it's troubling, it's painful, it kind of throws our equilibrium off, but, but here's the promise of Scripture. I'm giving you the punchline now. When we wait on God, waiting strengthens us like nothing else. It is the path to strength. It is the path to hope. My wife and I were flying back, as uh, Pastor Jason said, we're doing a um, teaching pastor in South Carolina, so I fly back and forth once a month, and we were flying back from South Carolina, from Charleston, through Atlanta, Delta Airlines. You ever fly Delta Airlines? You know what Delta stands for, right? Don't expect luggage to arrive. Just kidding. No, just kidding. It's a great airline. They've gotten a lot better. Really good. But we're in the airport. It's late. We're in Atlanta. We're hungry. And restaurant food is a gamble, right? Especially late at night when they're closing everything down. That's where we were. There's this random place open. We ate. Everything seemed to be good. We fly back. I get, uh, get to sleep. About 11 and about 2, nature begins to call. And nature kept calling for a week. And finally, after a week, my wife said, um, you need to call the doctor. Like, something's not right. And so I called the doctor. I'm like, that'd be awesome. We'd love to have you. We'll get you in by the end of the summer. This was June. And so my wife, I, I, and I think I'm off the hook. I called the doctor. We're good. I don't have to mess with all that. And so she's like, no, no, no. We're going to the emergency room. I'm like, we're not going to, she, yeah, get your stuff, we're going now. She's like, you've lost, true story, 15 pounds this week, and this is bad, we're going. So we go to the emergency room, which is an awesome experience if you haven't had uh, a chance to do that, because <laughs> you go, and essentially what happens is you get to wait, and I, got, I was just, I just wanted one doctor, but for whatever reason, I got to wait in three waiting rooms. By the time the doctor gets in, He's going to need a doctor because I'm going to lay hands on him in a very unbiblical manner because it's, we've been there four hours. I think I got to wait in each waiting room for an hour, right? And I was just thinking about that. Like, I'm there to get better. I'm there to get healing, and I still hate to wait. I don't know if you ever are driving and um, you're... Your head's on a swivel because you're like, which line is quicker? Can I get in front of that 18-wheeler? Can I get there? Why? Because when we're driving, we hate to what? Have you ever been to the grocery store and you're like scanning the lines for which one's quicker? Anybody a sinner like me do that? Right? You're, you're looking at the dude. You're looking at the dude. He's like looking at his phone. He's in next to him. He's not paying attention. This, this older lady has cash. You're like, do they even know what to do with cash? I'm not getting in that line. I'm going to get in this line. Right? We hate to what? We hate to wait. Right? I love rent, uh, renting a car now because I'm, a, I'm like an elite status or whatever, and so, um, which means everybody's in the line, you know, like cattle around the, the cords, and I get to go right to the front of the line. I feel so superior <laughs> because I don't have to what? 
I can just go right up to the line. And yet waiting on God is the thing that brings the most strength to our lives. And we hate it, and it's hard. But that's exactly the message that God gives this rather obscure prophet but if you try to find it in your Bible, you're going to struggle a little bit. His name was Habakkuk. He wrote a book in 605 B.C. when the Babylonians took over um, the ancient Middle East. And God gives him this word, this book. And Habakkuk is like many of us. We, we know God is asking us to wait. That's the message. But we're so desperate for him to act. We, we know God is good up here, right? But we're not feeling his goodness we know up here in our head he's faithful but we're not experiencing his faithfulness we're not feeling his faithfulness and this my friends is the burden of waiting when god would speak to the prophets in the old testament a lot of times you read in the old testament you'll see this um it'll say something like this the word of the lord came to jonah Habakkuk. Or it'll say the oracle of the, the word comes to. Same exact Hebrew word. The word for word and oracle is the same. It's the word for burden. Burden. So when God speaks, it's a burden to the soul of the prophet. And this, if you read the book of Habakkuk, this oracle is a is one that Habakkuk does not want to hear with his ears. This is a message he does not want to preach with his lips. This is a burden he does not want to bear in his soul because the message is what? You've got to wait. You've got to wait. Habakkuk was a contemporary of two other Bible guys, Zephaniah and Jeremiah. They were sent to God's kingdom in the south called Judah. Israel was to the north. And they were, like all prophets, sent to call God's people back to covenant faithfulness. Covenant just means, hey, we belong to God and we belong together. That's what the church is. Same deal. Old Testament, it was, call, it was called Israel and Judah. New Testament's called the church. So Habakkuk's coming to say, hey, let's be faithful to God. I'm a prophet, and so I'm coming to the nation. The problem was, there were other leaders in the nation. How many would just love it? it wouldn't life be easier if there wasn't for people, right? <laughs> like college was great except the classes. Well, the problem is, the prophets come in, they've got this burning message from God, they're ready to go, but they've got these other two groups, the kings and the priests. And so the problem was, the prophets, the priests, and the kings were in charge of kind of leading the nation, and the kings held sway, really, over the spiritual trajectory. And so the kings were a mess. There's actually two books in the Old Testament that tell us how troubled the kings were. Um, and these kings, like Manasseh, very bad king, very evil guy. He has a son named Ammon, who things we think are going to get better, it gets worse. He dies as a young man. It's so bad. This is how bad grandpa and dad were. They make the, the son of Ammon, the grandson of Manasseh, the king, his name was Josiah. He's king. They anoint him at eight years old. He's better at eight than dad and grandpa were, right? That's how bad this is. It's in third grade, right? Eight years old. Well, he gets to 16, he gets his license, and he gets serious about God. And he's digging around in the temple. Apparently, they forgot how to go to church. Finally, he's in the temple, and he finds this scroll, and he opens it up, and he starts reading it. And I don't, I don't know if you've ever had this experience, right? You're reading the Bible, and you're like, oh, no, I didn't know it said that. 
I've been doing that. I'm breaking commandments. I didn't even know. Well, this is what happens to, to Josiah. But it's not just personally. He realizes the whole nation is adrift and away from God. And what he finds was the first five books of the Bible. It's called the Pentateuch. And he begins to read those to the nation. And guess what happens? The whole nation repents. The whole nation turns from their sin, turns toward God. And everything's going to be awesome. Problem is, the priests and the kings were not aligned with the, with the prophet's message. So spiritual reform never took root. And so you have this gap, this vacuum in leadership. And you know this at your job. And you probably know this in your family. And we certainly know this in our nation, when there, there aren't leaders, right, non-leaders come in and fill the gap. And the non-leaders in this time were called false prophets. And the false prophets were saying, hey, we're God's kids. We're good. God, it doesn't matter how unholy we are. It doesn't matter how self-focused we are. God's going to bless us. God would never send another nation to judge us. And yet that's exactly the message that God gives his prophet I'm going to send another nation so that you see how wayward you are. And God always does this with his prophets. He always sends them into challenging situations to bring about spiritual reform. And you may be sitting here this morning, and you may not be a prophet or the son of a prophet. You may not work for a nonprofit, but God is sending you. <laughs> God is sending you into a dysfunctional family a difficult work environment, a disconnected neighborhood, and all of those things, work, family, neighborhoods, they don't change overnight, so we have to what? We have to wait. We have to wait. God has to show up. We show up, but God has to show up. Uh, I didn't grow up in the church, and so I, w I came in, and I didn't understand anything. I said, so if that's you, totally cool. There's a lot of other people here like you, right? And, and, and that was me. And I didn't get it. And I remember um, hearing this verse. And for whatever reason, it just kind of spoke to me. I think it was the, actually the first verse I ever memorized. And it has to do with waiting. And I want to show it to you on the screen. It's Isaiah 40, 31. It says, they, those who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not be faint. Now I want you to look at this. You got, you got, you got some dynamics going on here. You've got, what's the first word that's underlined? We've said it 15 times already. Wait. And then we've got strength. So here's the gap. We wait. Then we are strengthened. And in between here is a gap. And that's where some of you are this morning. You're waiting for strength. You're waiting for hope. But you're not feeling it. You're not seeing it. It's not there yet. And yet the promise is, if you wait, you will be strengthened, strengthened like nothing else if you can wait. All right, so how do you do that? Well, let me throw out some postures, some attitudes, some actions for those of you who are waiting. Now, here's the deal. You are waiting or you will be waiting. If you're not waiting now, you will be. If you're not waiting now, your friends are waiting now. Okay? All right, so first point is this. How do we wait? We wait worshipfully. Worshipfully. Worship is the key to waiting. You're like, well, I'm not a worshiper. False. 
everyone's a worshiper. What, what, you know, I'm not religious. I'm, stay with Everyone puts something at the center of themselves. Everyone makes something supreme. All of us give our time, our energy, our affection, our devotion to something. That's your object of worship. That's your, you say, I'm not sure what it is. Oh, what do you care about the most? What do you sacrifice for? What do you daydream about? That's the object of worship. Which means when you think about it, worship is super messy. Super messy, which is why it's awesome to be in a church where it's okay not to be okay. It's awesome to be in a place where not everyone's perfect. That Actually, if you're perfect, you should leave. You're going to jack our deal up, right? Because there's nothing, there's nothing neat and tidy about worship. It's a mixture of pleasure and pain, of doubt and faith, right? So this is that's what happens when you're waiting. Everything's super messy. Everything's hard. It doesn't make sense. It's exactly what it means to worship while you're waiting. Now, what happens is when you're in that place, that gap, you start asking questions. So you're like, I don't know if I'm in the gap. I don't know if I'm in a waiting mode. Well, here's how you know. You start asking questions of God. I would even say some of us are questioning God. If you are, you're in good company because that's exactly what Habakkuk is doing. In chapter 1, verse 12, he asks God this question. He says, are you not from everlasting? Now, that doesn't sound bad. It actually sounds okay, right? It doesn't sound that. Scholars believe this is the most indicting verse that questions God, God's character in the whole Old Testament. Because what he's asking is, uh, uh, it's not a rhetorical question. He's saying, God, I don't really think you're in charge. I don't really think you're good. I'm not sure you're there. That's what this question is getting at. Where are you? Now, this is where worship starts. God, are you who you say you are? Are you really there? So, that, so then keep going in verse 12. He says, oh, oh Lord, he's moving in the gap. Are you not? Oh, Lord, my, my God, my Holy One. Are you not from everlasting? Wait a minute, wait a minute. Oh, Lord, my God, my Holy One. So, he, so he's coming to his senses a little bit, right? He's thinking it through. Now it's like, wait a minute. You're not just a God. You're not just the God. You're my God. You're my God. You're my God. You're, you're near me. You're with me. I don't feel you, but I know you're there. I don't sense you, but I know you're real. And so this is the process of waiting. Some of you are in it. Some of you have gone through it. God, where are you? What are you doing? Okay, wait a minute. I just called you God. So if I called you God, you must be God. So you must be in control. You must be good, or I wouldn't have called you God and Lord. Okay, so you're my God. Now, last part of the verse, therefore, though God is going to send enemies to crush the nation, we shall not die. It's going to be okay. It's going to be fine. We're going to make it. We're going to make it. This is the process of waiting. This is the process of worship. I want you to think about worship as the thing that guides and shapes your life. In fact, the old word, English word for worship is the word worth, shape. Which means uh, the thing that you deem most worthy shapes your life holistically. And so when we worship in our waiting, here's what happens. We're shaped to be who God has called us to be 
we're guided to do what God has called us to do. If you worship while you wait, you are shaped and you are guided. That's the power. When we're being asked to wait, we're being invited to worship. You say, I'm waiting. I don't know where God is. This is your time. This is the moment. I love it because when you say this in the Midwest, it doesn't make sense. But when you're on the mountain, I can say it. It's all like, when you're on the mountain, right? When you're on the mountain, you think, oh, man, it's easy to meet God. Actually, it's in the valley. Actually, it's in the waiting when we most experience God. And so this is what happens. So everybody say it with me. While I wait, I can worship. While I wait... I'm being invited to worship. Now, Habakkuk is kind of moving. He's in the gap, but he's moving. And then he does something very unusual in chapter 2, verse 1. In chapter 2, verse 1, it says, I will take my stand at my watch post and station myself on the tower, and I will look out to see what he will say to me. Now, what the heck's going on? Well, here's what's going on. In the Old Testament, they had these guys called watchmen. And the watchmen would get up in these big towers, and they would look at the crops. It's one of their jobs to make sure animals, thieves, you know, enemies were not going to steal the food supply. They would also look onto the city, right, and make sure nobody was, you know, robbing somebody. Nobody's, you know, no violence is going on. And they would look out to see if enemies were coming to attack the city. Very important job. Many prophets in the Old Testament are called watchmen, but here. I love it because Habakkuk actually has a day job. He's actually a watchman, right? Which gives us a lot of hope. Sometimes you read the Bible and you're like, well, that'd be awesome if I could leave my job and follow Jesus around for three years, right? It'd be great to be a pastor. I could like, full, like then, then I'm like, I could just do Jesus stuff all day. Habakkuk has a day job. Habakkuk is going to work. Habakkuk is doing his job but he knows that his main job is not his job. It's looking for his God. And so he's looking for God. He's, he's, he's watching for God. He's not just, what, and so what does that mean? He's waiting expectantly. That's what I'm trying to say, point two. He's waiting expectantly. That's what he's doing. So a watchman was looking for one thing, right? He's looking for, especially the guy on the third shift, what's he looking for? This glowing orb in the sky that emits heat and light, right? We love it. It's called the sun. And because when the sun comes up, his job got easier. And over and over in Scripture, God is compared to the sun. Why? Because when you're waiting expectantly, you're looking for the light of God. You're looking for God to make things clear. Not just for your circumstance so that you can see him as he is. You're expectant. Right? You're resting in his wisdom and in his, in his timing and his purpose for you. You're trusting in his character. You're believing and hoping that he will do what he said he will do. Right? This is what it means to wait. You're expectant. I told you about Jeremiah earlier, one of the contemporaries. He said, Jeremiah says this in Lamentations 3. This is what it means to wait. Lamentations 3.25. The Lord is good to those who wait for him. What does it mean to wait? To the soul who seeks him. It's very easy when we're waiting 
to want God's answer more than we want God. And actually in the New Testament, Romans, uh, the book of Romans chapter 1 says, God's judgment at times is giving us what we want. So sometimes if you, lo- if you want the answer more than you want God, the answer will take you away from God. So Habakkuk's not just looking for the answer, he's looking for God. He wants, he's looking for, he's, what are you going to say? I know what the doctor said, right? I know, I know, I, I know what the, 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 the counselor said about my marriage is there's no, I, but what do you say? What do you say? I'm, exp- I'm looking to you. I know what my circumstances are saying. What are you saying, God? What are you doing? We wait expectantly for God. For God. We're not just looking for a solution. We're longing for a Savior. Show up. Meet me, please. We wait expectantly. Third point, we wait actively. We wait actively. Um, God isn't going to watch the city for him. He has to do it. Sometimes we think waiting means passivity. Some, some of you heard that. Some of you doers, activistic folks are like, you've tuned it out. Like, I'm not a, I'm not a waiter. That's not my deal. I'm a doer. Well, I remember one time um, after the sermon, uh, you know, it's, it's awesome after the sermon to greet people. And so there was a line that had formed, and I love that. And, and uh, this guy, this uh, single dude was asking, you know, um, he was playing stump the pastor, right? So I think it was our third service or a night service, just like you guys. You got two mornings and the night. It was early on, and there's a line of people, and he's like asking me some philosophical, theological question that no human being has ever been able to answer. But for whatever reason, he thinks I can after preaching three sermons. And um, but so I'm like trying to like think about websites and books I can and, and looking for security and deacons and whoever else to because there's a line i'm trying to get rid and 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 so i notice over here his buddies are over here with with um with some single girls in our church and you know a lot of people go to church and then go to dinner and i'm like i'm like hey uh is these your buddies yeah I was, you know i said uh i said you're single there's some girls right there and he's like hey I, i'm just waiting for the lord on that one i was like and then he says and God brought Eve to Adam. <laughs> I was like, it's an interesting dating philosophy you got there, bud. <laughs> he said, I'm just waiting for the Lord. I'm not tr-. I said, well, why don't you wait over there where the girls are? I mean, it's just <laughs> right there. Before we bang on single dudes, some of you are doing this with small groups. Um, I'm going to sign up, I'm going to do it. I'm gonna, and, then, and then and you just think one day in your mind, I'm just waiting, and then magically after work, I'm going to go into my living room. There'll be 10 people around with their Bibles open. <laughs> and I'll just be able to go right into the, my small group, right? No, there's an activeness to waiting. So, so when you're waiting, like a lot of times it's easy to get real narcissistic and self-focused and like, oh, woe is me and where's my problem and where is God? But w- one of the things you got to do as you wait actively is serve outwardly. Yeah. Serving outwardly, hear, hear me, serving outwardly gets your eyes. Some of you are like, I'm so depressed. and so It's because you're looking at yourself, right? And you get your eyes out here. And it doesn't, that's why you got to go, go through the growth track. That's why you got to get on a dream team. You got to do this, these things. You got to be a 
waiter. Have any of you ever waited on tables, right? right. So, so a waiter, I'm talking a good waiter. Now, sometimes we get mad at our waiters and waitresses because they're not giving us enough attention. Well, probably it's because they have too many tables. That's not their fault. That's the manager's, okay? So don't be mean to wait people. Tip, tip them well. Christians are horrible at tipping. So tip well. It's nothing to do with the sermon, just saying that. All the waiters are like, I promise I'll tithe. I promise I'll tithe. Please tip. Please tip me. But here's a good waiter with an appropriate span of care. What, what do they do? They're not like blowing you up every time you take a sip of your water. Want more water? They're not like, how's, how's the steak? How's the bread? No, no, no. They're waiting. Listen, watch. They're waiting to serve at the right time. Waiting to serve, right? So we wait actively when we serve outwardly. But now let me flip it. We wait actively also when we rest inwardly. Okay, so one of my favorite writers, her name is Sue Kidd, and Sue Kidd was at a monastery. And if you've never been to a monastery, you go and you hang out with a bunch of monks or nuns, depending on the monastery. And you just kind of eat what they eat, do what they do. And, and so she's there, and I'm going to read to you what she wrote about her experience. She noticed this monk, and she says, he was sitting perfectly beneath a tree, totally still. There was such reverence in his silhouette, such, and I love this phrase, tranquil sturdiness that I paused to watch. He was the picture of waiting. Later I sought him out and I said, I saw you today sitting beneath the tree, so still. I just can't get used to the idea, though, of doing nothing. Then the monk, she writes, broke into this wonderful grin and said, that's the problem right there, young lady. You think and have bought into the cultural myth that when you're waiting, you're doing nothing. And then he grabbed her by the shoulders and peered into her eyes and said, I want you to hear what I'm about to say to you. And I want you to hear it down to your toes. When you're waiting, you're not doing nothing. You're doing the most important something there is. You're allowing your soul to grow up. If you never learn to wait, you will never become who God created you to be. There's a resting in our active waiting. There's a pulling back from our frenzied lives and our cluttered thoughts. That's what it means to wait. That's what it means to wait. So Habakkuk is waiting, and he's challenged God. I'm looking for you, verse 1, chapter 2. Then in chapter 2, verse 2, God answers. Be careful when you want God to answer your prayer, because he might actually do it. And here's what he says. The Lord answered me and said, write down the vision. We'll stop there. Write down the vision. Writing it down is for Habakkuk. Aren't you glad he wrote it down? Right? You don't get to do that. You don't get to add your journal to the Bible. We, we got it. It's complete. Got the full revelation of God. So, so, but it was for him. It was for him. You know how it is when you write something down? It sticks. It sticks. But writing it down is also for God's people because the rest of the verse, kind of an interesting language, it says, 
Write it down, write down the vision. Why? And make it plain on tablet. So he may run who reads it. What's he saying? See, when you write it down, it's hard to ignore. When you write it down, you are moved to act. When you write it down, you encourage others. Think about friends or loved ones that have passed away. And, 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 if, and if, like both of my parents are not alive, and, I, and my mom's been dead for like 20-some years. She died really young. And I still have a grocery list of hers. Why? Because it's her handwriting. And it was like Wonder Bread and bologna. I mean, we ate bologna in the 80s. And it was like all this like stuff. But it's her. There's something about things that are written down. It encourages other people. My wife and I figured this out after about 15 years of marriage. Because we would get in heated discussions. You ever get any of those, married folk? Also called arguments. And, and I would win. Because I talk for a living. And so my points would have stories and illustrations. They would alliterate at times. And my wife is super smart. Much higher IQ. Much, much sharper. But like I was just better on my feet. And so this like we're getting in these fights and she's like, we're not building intimacy when we have these discussions. I'm like, this isn't about intimacy. This is about winning. Don't you understand? <laughs> she's like, this isn't good. In fact, I want you to go in there in the bedroom. I'm going to go in the living room, and I'm going to craft an email and send it to you, and you're going to read it. And we're not talking until you do. And I was like, yes, ma'am. So I go in there, and she sends me an email. And she articulates all the points on there. And she says... It, and just, just, she's such a good writer, and just, it just really did an end around what was my pride and defensiveness to the point that we still do it to this day 10 years later because there's something about writing it down and having to look at it, yeah. right, that does something to your heart. God knew it, and Habakkuk knew it. How many of you are waiting on God with something right now? Okay. What are you feeling right now? What do you really want? What are your hopes, your dreams, your fears? Write it down. Write it down. Well, I don't really like to write. You got this notes app on your phone. Type it in there, right? Get it on paper. Make it your prayer list. Share it with your friends. Don't put it on Facebook. I'm just throwing this. But there's, there's something about it, right? That helps you wait actively. Now, okay, so here we keep going in chapter 2. It says, for still the vision awaits. It's appointed time. It hastens to the end. It will not lie. Okay, read the underlying portion with me. If it seems slow, wait for it. It will surely come and not delay. It will surely come and not delay. God is reminding Habakkuk that he will judge injustice. If you read the rest of chapter 2, Here's what is going to be judged. Pride, murder, the oppression of marginalized peoples, sexual sin, all of those things. As Habakkuk is in this gap of waiting, God says, I promise you, I will deal with it. So what is this speaking to? This is this idea that as we're waiting, we can wait confidently. We can wait confidently. Many of you have gone through abusive, unjust situations, actions from misguided, 
deceived, or even evil people. And what this text is telling us is that God will judge. God will bring justice. And you need to hear that. I read this on, I think, Facebook. Um, you know, I think I lost IQ points this day reading this. But <laughs> it says, my God is a God of mercy who never hates, never gets angry, never judges, and always blesses. Now, I can go with most of that except one for sure. He never judges. He never gets angry. That's a cool Facebook post. It'll get you a lot of shares. Horrible theology. God gets angry. It's called wrath. And let me give you a definition that might help some of us that struggle with that, because that's a big struggle today in, in people's hearts. This is Becky Pippert. She's written a lot of great books. Here's what she says about God's wrath. It's not a cranky explosion. It's not like your dad freaking out, okay? It's not like your boss losing his marble. No, it's a settled opposition, this is God, to the cancer which is eating out the insides of the human race he loves with his whole being. When you love something, you are angry when it's hurt or threatened. And God loves us. God loves you. And he's mad. He's angry. He's wrathful. Justice delayed is not justice denied. Don't say it out loud, but what's your favorite song right now? Some of you are like, I'm totally distracted. I'm going to be singing this song the rest of this term. We're almost done. Hang in there. Push it back. You can play it in the car. What's interesting about your favorite song is it has a shelf life. You may like it the rest of your life, but you're going to like another song better, right? Like, you're, you, you, there's something about songs, right? There's something about, now, what if I could tell you a song that will be your favorite song for eternity? What if I could do that right now? Would you want, you want to know? Yeah, I, I can. I actually can. I can tell you a song. I don't know if it'll be your favorite, but I know that you and I and everyone who is in heaven because of our faith in Jesus alone will sing forever. Now, I don't know what the tune, the melody is. I'm sure the angelic choir is going to help, but, but stay with me. Here it is. I'm going to read it, and then we're going to put the rest of it on the screen. You ready? We give thanks to you, Lord God Almighty, who is and who was. Are you not from everlasting? Yes, who is and who was. For you have taken your great power and begun to reign. Now, here is the rest of the verse. The nations raged. But your wrath came, and the time for the dead to be judged, and for the rewarding of your servants, the prophets and the saints, and for those who fear your name, both small and great, and for destroying the destroyers of the earth. One day, friends, you and I will extol the virtues of God's right judgment on evil. We will sing. I know it's hard. It's like, oh, it doesn't feel right. God is going to make everything broken healed. Everything that's crooked will be straightened. Everything that's dead will come alive. Every tear will be wiped away. All the pain will be gone because he will deal with injustice. One day we won't have to wait. 
And you may not get your justice now, but you serve a just and a good God. And when we wait, and if we wait, and when we wait, and if we wait, and when we wait, and if we wait, he will bring justice, which means this, you don't have to have justice right now. You don't have to take justice in your own hands. You saying that we don't push back against injustice? Are you saying we never protest things? No, 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 all that. But we trust that what we don't get here, we will get there. What we're not getting now, we will get then. He's coming, he's bringing justice because he's good. Some of you are waiting. Some of you will be waiting. All of, all of us will be waiting at some point. Some of us, our friends right now are waiting. And so we talked about writing it down. That's very powerful to do. Another thing that's powerful to do, and the church has done it for 2,000 years. The church has read creeds, things that we agree on together out loud. And the church has done what's called responsive reading. Some of you from more traditional backgrounds, you're, you'll be familiar with this. Some of you are new. This will be the first time. But this is a way for us together as a family say this is what God has said and this is what we're going to do together and here's the thing you're like I'm waiting by myself that's the problem you're not by yourself look around you're not by yourself you don't have to do this alone it's so hard I know it's hard to wait but it's really hard when you're alone you don't have to do that anymore we're going to model that right now as we say this together so I'm going to read the first part the bolded part you're going to read the underlined part, all right? Let's do this together. Our hearts are distressed, and waiting on God feels like a burden. We get bitter when we have to wait. Let's read it, church. Lord, help me to quiet my soul and to trust in your goodness to me. Waiting is not a passive activity. Waiting is not laziness. To wait is to engage God and others. Lord, help me to serve you and serve others as I wait. Our culture is a mile wide and an inch deep. We tend to be hurried and shallow. Lord, help me think deeply about you, who you are, and what you are doing. Our temptation is to believe justice delayed is justice denied. We don't really understand that one day, all things right. Lord, help me to believe that you are just and will bring justice. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for your promise that those who wait on you, you will give wings as eagles. Sometimes that means flying out of circumstances. Sometimes that means flying through them. So whether deliver us out of them or you deliver us through them. Lord, we trust you. We thank you that you're near. We thank you that you're with us. We thank you that we don't have to do this alone. We have brothers and sisters to bear our burden, to help us with